Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and reviews. This month our reviews include Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Fast X and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. A summer special, which means hunting season for Jeff. Except Jeff picked one of them. And I noticed that the highbrow grown-up movies Deck and I picked weren't included in that list. <laughs> Of course not. One of them was subtitled. Nice omission, Graham. I only read what Jeff writes. That explains why The Swimmers wasn't mentioned. Greetings and salutations. I'm Jeff. Hi, I'm Graham. Hi, my name is Neil. I'm Phil, and when not on At The Flicks, you can find out more about my film tastes via my blog page on Phil the Bear blog at wordpress.com. Hi, I'm Darren, and other than At The Flicks, you can follow me on Twitter at DazzleLovesMovie, and you can read my blogs at halfguarded.com. Hi, I'm Declan, the presenter of the podcast Carry On Streaming, which the At The Flicks team kindly asked me to do. Okay, guys, I've got some good news to start. That'll make a change. The figures are in, and both the new format review show and Darren's video store podcasts are big hits. Thank you, listeners, for your continued support. As you're not a half-glass-full person, Jeff, I assume there's a moan you're now going to try and sneak in. Does the day end in a Y? (laughs) All right, okay, okay, you not know me too well. And it's something, actually, I want all your feedback on. Now, recently... Disney Plus edited a scene from the Oscar-winning classic The French Connection. There was no advance notice, and I understand it was done without consultation with the director. Well, I don't want to talk about what was removed, because Graham will cut it anyway. I would like to know your thoughts about what happened and where do you think this will end? And if anything, can we as viewers do anything about it? And, Phil, I'm going to throw that at you to start. Yeah, I thought the funniest thing about the whole subject was that you didn't understand what a torrent was. <laughs> no, I thought it was a river. I've always been quite pro-streaming and having things available via the internet, mostly because I do not have a vast mansion, and my DVD collection is currently sitting in the attic of my house, probably delaminating as we speak. <laughs> um I think that films need to be preserved and need to be what the director or the creators made at that time. Uh, I get the need to have in front of some films warnings and things like that, saying it's culturally insensitive or or to the times, but I think that they should stay the same and have those warnings rather than be changed. I guess the issue is is that with the culture wars as, as, as they are, if Disney or Netflix or whomever are streaming those films, is it safer for them to remove those things and not have the complaints? But it's not great from a film preservation point of view. Absolutely. Now, Darren, you see this problem in two ways, not only with films, but of course we've seen it with books as well at the moment. Yeah, um, if you've not been keeping up, um, Roald Dahl books have been um, rewritten changing the, uh, the the language and also changing the entire meaning of of some uh, you know segments and and stuff to try and make them more 21st 
century, which I will say lots and lots of our customers do not like this. We've had customers coming in wanting like, you know, the original versions. And when it comes to the French connection, that line, what in that scene, it is important. Because for a start, Mm. it basically shows you what this character Popeye Doyle is actually like. But it also, how groundbreaking that we had a film in 1970s that was exposing racism within the police force. Now, how are you going to do a film like that Mm. if you're not going to have characters who basically say unsavory things? I mean, where where does this um, stop? Are you going to go into Mississippi burning and take all the offensive language that the um, you know those idiots you know in that town were saying? You know, the, 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 it's not it's not as if because someone is saying those things that you're celebrating that you're agreeing with them. You're highlighting what rotten people are, and and to me. Well, one of the things that gets me about this is who is actually going to watch the French Connection in this day and age? Who is going to be offended by that? You, you know, who, who you know the, the people who are going to watch the French Connection are basically you know film people like 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 us. Do, do they think that the French you know watching a sort of you know a film like the French Connection is going to be a risk to people today? I, I just I just don't get the mentality. It it just feels. It just feels sort of pandering and and cowardly, and I, it it really gets to me. I I know many people who are very sort of liberal minded, you know, sort of, um, and I'm not going to use that W word because I think that word because I think that is basically sort of you know lost all sense of meaning now. But I know very many liberal minded people, and all of them to a person disagree with the steps that have been taken with this. They're all really appalled. Films are basically are a product of their time. You need to sort of have, you know, have what the attitudes were of that time uh, in those films. This was a film that was critiquing the violence and the sort of, you know, the stuff like that in within the police force. How are you going to do that if you're not sort of going to basically show it what's and all? It's, it's just ridiculous. No, that's fair enough. Although, use, thinking of another W word, Neil, over to you. <laughs> what do you think? I, I, I think, as in all of these uh, questions, you need to follow the money. Um, if they can put out the French connection and not get criticism for using a certain word or words, then that's what they will do. I, the worst thing is, where do they stop? Uh, they could take out tons of stuff. The religious people will be getting stuff about this, that and the other and taking out religious type square words and such like. But I think it is just about the money. They want to be able to put it on TV and they think the criticism from a certain part will be too much for them and it'll, it's all about the money. But taking a subject that you do know about animation, yeah, they don't release... Song of the South. Yeah, it's for good reason. In for, the vault. For a number of they reasons. won't even show it to film. Yeah. Well, wouldn't you put that out with disclaimers on it? Who's going to watch it? I would. Yeah, you would. But you're <laughs> the only one probably who would. It won't go on to Disney, that's for sure. They are embarrassed by it, so they won't show it. It won't happen, Jeff. That, I mean, I know you go about Song of the South every single time we mention this. But Zippity this Doodah sort of is one of the great animated songs. <laughs> um, Deck, where do you stand on this argument? Um, books is a tricky one, but streaming, why not give people choice? You can do it 
like you, you choose not to read subtitles, Jeff. So you go on and you go on to streaming services. Most of them offer, you can watch it in dubbed various languages. It's all on a drop down. Why not have the default one as the clean one, the one that they've like tidied up. So if people can't be bothered to change it, that's what it goes to. But you switch and it has original version. And you just go down okay. and it has original version and you watch that. And then, you know, maybe something pops up on the screen that says, by the way, this contains blah, 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 blah. And that's it. And and you can you can make it so that under 18s can't have that version or something. You know, that, that it's, it all can be done. It all can be coded. And if, if a streaming service did that, then more people might go to that streaming service because the people who want to watch the originals might say, well, I'm not going to go to Disney Plus because they only got one version. I want to see the original version. But if Netflix, for example gave you an option to see both you'd think okay i'm going to make sure i'm going to carry on with my netflix subscription because i can watch one that's the original theater version from and we all know already there's director's cuts and theatrical versions and yeah. various other you know you can have five six versions of a film already out there a streaming service could easily offer every single one it wouldn't be that big a deal for them to do yeah what what i like about what you're saying is there'll be figures kept on who watches what so you can see then if anybody watches the cut version, and I suspect those figures will be extremely low. Yeah, but data data rules everything, isn't it? Data is king, as you say. And if they, you know, and they can sell it, they can sell it as we're a streaming surface that gives you all these different options. No, no, yeah, fair enough. And uh, coming into data, and we'll end with the data king, Graham. Yeah, I, I actually fully agree with what Deck was saying. Yeah, it, this is so simple to do. It's really getting annoying. It is really getting annoying. You know, the book stuff is just outrageous, and that I, I really roil against that. The cinema stuff can be fixed. They've also, they're starting to play around with music now. So Spotify, there was a band in the 70s, not many people have heard of them, Pink Floyd, and they released this obscure album called Dark Side of the Moon. You cannot get Dark Side of the Moon on Spotify right? You can get the remastered version, but you, you can't you get the original. You make a great point, Graham, because I couldn't get Rock and Roll Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably going to be able to get Song of the South if they doctored it, but it would only be as long as a trailer. I think Deck's right, that we've got to shout loudly about it and just tell people, go, you know, stop messing with stuff. You've got the original version, and then if you want to mess with it, you've got to create a special version, but the original version still needs to be there. What about if the director wants to change it? Yeah, because that's, that's it. It's the director's it's, cut, then, isn't yeah. it? Funny story on that. There was John Badham uh, made a version of Dracula in 1979, and I saw it in the cinema, and it's a fantastic film, really striking with its colour. Well, Badham fell out with the studio because he wanted to put it out in black and white. And because it's based on a 1920s play of Dracula and they wouldn't let him. So when the VHS come out, then the DVD and the Blu-ray, he's muted all the colours down on it. Well, I don't want to see that. I've seen that version and yeah, it's all right. But I think Badham's wrong. I want to see the original version. Yeah. It's like uh, Steven Spielberg with turning the guns into walkie-talkies in E.T. Which he, he, he admitted himself was a mistake. Yeah. So what what are we left with now? Which version do we get? The walkie talkie version, or do we get the original version? I would prefer the original version. Yeah, but but this is a different argument to you know this is a director saying I want to put it out the way I see the film, as opposed to some novice sitting in Disney studio somewhere saying I'm going to cut the French Connection. 
Has William Friedkin said anything? Because I imagine he'd be quite outspoken about it. And I've been looking to try and find out what he said on it, and I can't find anything. Because I imagine it wouldn't be uh, polite. <laughs> well, I imagine we'd be bleeping a lot of it if we were to play his response on the show. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I can imagine. And maybe that's the problem. The reason you haven't heard anything from him, he's still in just one stream of swear words. He hasn't, <laughs> hasn't, hasn't taken breath yet. Can I just ask, has the UK version been edited yet? Because after all this, in, I, I looked up and the UK version was still intact. Yes. So when all this started, BBC Two, oddly enough, showed the film uh, a week later and that scene was in it. Mm. Good, so for, they, them. They, they Good haven't, for them. They haven't cut it. So, But, you know, I've got a physical copy. Watch it quickly. No, no, I, I'm protecting my laminate on mine. I've got, a phys- I've got a physical copy. I've just got to go up to the attic and find, <laughs> find it, it amongst about 20 boxes. <laughs> and then actually see if my DVD player works because the last time I used my DVD player, it only actually turned on if I pressed the eject button. The on-off button stopped working. That's how I turned mine on and off. Isn't that how you're supposed to do it? <laughs> the only part of the film that's delaminated would be that one scene. Yes, it <laughs> delaminates itself. Like that. Oh, God. Yeah, when streaming started, and I know we, we joke about this against physical media, it seemed really good. You know, you could have everything you want. Yeah. Um, up on there, you didn't have storage problems. And they're even pissing on that now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that some there are some films that have been created by streaming services for the streaming service, and then they decided, do you know what? Can't be bothered using up that, that storage space and paying residuals to the people involved so we'll take that away and it's now gone crater um, is that crater you're talking about uh well that's one of them there was um there was the disney plus film with um uh the breaking bad lead actor is it brian cranston yeah brian, brian cranston yeah. he's in a it's, it's based on a true story is it about a gorilla yes, it is. In a yeah. circus yeah so yeah, that's a... that's no longer on Disney Plus. You can't watch it, and that was made for Disney Plus. I don't believe there's a physical release of it. I think it's gone. Um, and there are others that you know fit into that that category. And and the bit that I find odd is Disney and Netflix and whomever they haven't actually explained why. No, like because store, storage space seems to be that's a bit nebulous. You know, they're massive companies, like and, you know, films like two gigs or whatever, five gigs, I don't know. Everyone seems, because because there's no official statement, everyone jumps to conclusions on what is it. And the one that I see talked about often is it's about money and finances. So every, every time it's streamed, they have to pay yes. know, half a penny to everyone or something. So my understanding is they balance those residuals against what it costs to put on storage. And if they're getting virtually no views... They'll put it in. Now, what I think they're going to do, and I, again, I've discussed this recently with some with Graham, they will lease these out to other companies, to either other streaming platforms or to, to network companies for, say, a year or so, so they can put them on. So examples here like Willow, Paramount Plus, Rise of the Pink Ladies, uh, all of that's now in storage. So they'll just lease them out to somewhere. And... Companies are going to be crying out for it this autumn because, of course, the writer's strike is ongoing. So there's a lack of new shows coming through. And I think they'll be paying small fortunes to the likes of Disney and Paramount to um, to get those shows. It's all about the money. Uh, yes. Yeah. As Neil said. 
Yeah, well, we could talk about this for hours, but uh, I think we've got a review show to get to. So yep. thanks, guys. Uh, that was a little frightening. Whether it means anything to the big corporations, I doubt. But it's good just to be able to talk amongst some like-minded people about it. So thank you. Once they hear that at the flicks are on the on the case, they'll be shitting <laughs> yeah. themselves. Jeff, <laughs> That's right. Or oh, at our age, we might be. Um, <laughs> oh, you mean again? <laughs> and on that cheery note, let's start on the reviews. And here we go. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA All-Star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. This is where you come up with a brilliant idea that no one else can see. Let's hear it. I got it. I found him. Who's that? Jesus? Can't afford it. I'm willing to bet my career on one guy. You ask me what I do here. This is what I do. I find you players, and I feel it this time. Okay, it's risky. For a rookie? Yes. Who's never set foot on an NBA court. That's the literal definition of rookie. Yeah. What's the plan? We build a shoe line around just him. I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made. Who's the player? Michael Jordan. First up this month is Air, the true story about the creation of the Air Jordan sports shoe. Wait, I hear you cry. A film about footwear? Trust us, it's much more than that. Back in 1984, Nike were not the powerhouse they are today. They were even looking at closing down their basketball shoe division. Then marketing vice president Sonny Vaccaro, played by Matt Damon, sees something special in a young player called Michael Jordan. Vaccaro believes he is the perfect choice for promotion of a new type of footwear. However, to sign Jordan, the marketing executive has to break a few of the agreed industry recruitment rules. Rule-breaking that will upset more than a few people both inside and outside of Nike, and which could bring disaster to the company. Darren, it was a bold move by Amazon to put this film into cinemas before streaming it on Prime. Did it benefit from that cinema experience? I actually don't think it was a bold move, but just a, a really good common sense. Uh, I think releasing a film in a cinema, even if it's just a short um, time before the film is actually released on streaming, does have a lot of advantages to it. For, for a start, it'll get a little bit of money back somewhat. But I do think that having a film in a cinema does give it some sort of gravitas. It sort of validates it as a film more. I mean, I have noticed that if a film is in the cinema, pretty much everywhere will review it, whereas films that go straight to streaming... You know, so some reviewers will will skip them, and this film like this, which is, it has let's face it, it has got a great cinematic um, cast in it. You know, re- really should have been seen in the cinema first. Um, as as for the film, I just want to say first up that I actually never knew that there existed this weird, well, to me weird sportswear fandom because the number of friends that oh I had who were absolutely excited about this movie. And on, on some message boards that I'm on to do with sort of like, you know, wrestling and films whatsoever, there was so much discussing about it. What what really got me was how how the history of this sportswear company, how so much of that these, these friends of mine knew. I mean, they knew all the figures in these films. They knew 
everything that they've done, the new, the, the new, the sort of, you know, the actual reality of, of certain things which have been dramatised. They even knew the people who had been left out of the movie, who had a real sort of part to play. They were saying, you know, so-and-so, he did this, he should have been in this movie and stuff like that. It was, it was quite, it's quite an eye-opener, to be honest. I have to admit, when I went to the cinema, there was a sort of certain different crowd there to the screen and I went to who sort of looked like there was sort of, well, basically sportswear wearing people you know you see there is a culture out there for this movie um as for the film itself it's going to sound uh, yeah on that theme did you think when it started it felt a bit like moneyball you know they're throwing a lot of data at you and certainly for me i didn't really understand or i didn't understand that culture to start off with it just felt like that earlier film to me did it to you it did remind me of moneyball quite a lot I won't, I won't say I, I didn't sort of uh, not understand it. I think it, did, it gave a really good way of introducing you um, to, to you know to, to that to that world. You know, it's sort of like we've sort of like you know this sort of little sort of like you know sound bites and you know sort of little sort of um, you know the text and you know explaining all the figures were and everything like that. So I think it I think it did you know to a, a novice like me to that world it, it did bring you into it. But yeah, I did it did remind me of um, of of Moneyball uh, uh, somewhat. I have, to, I have to admit, I watched Moneyball. There were still lots of things in Moneyball I didn't understand about the baseball season, but, but same, that's another Same with me. Um, so as for this film, um, this is going to sound like a strange review because it's going to. I am going to be quite negative on certain aspects of it, but the fact is, I really did enjoy this film. I was really entertained by it. It had, it had an absolutely dream cast. You know, absolutely. You know, who brought all these really oddball characters to life, and and I've got to say, I really do like these um, these uh, pop culture story type movies that basically sort of you know go into the inside of stories that you sort of like you know, but you just sort of take for granted now. You know, like you sort of like the Moneyball and the Founder and that sort of thing. It, you know, I, I do find this sort of thing really, really fascinating. Um, and and to me, it was really interesting to see how this. How these bizarre businesses uh, actually, you know, and marketing actually works. You know, I found it really fascinating, and the the story was, you know, really told really well. The soundtrack was soundtrack was fantastic. I, I need to check actually if there's a, a CD version of this because I thought the soundtrack uh, track was great, and it, and he told the story re- really well. The, the dialogue was great. It was it was really fun movie. The problem I had with it is that at the heart of the film, this is basically a love letter to capitalism. What's wrong with that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it is it, the thing. Right, okay, right at the start of the, the film, he sets up the drama and it introduces us to the fact that Nike are lagging behind third place in this sneaker war. And I was thinking, like, well, oh, Boo hoo! This um, this uh, massive corporation <laughs> that shuts down plants in America, gets all the products made in sweatshops overseas, charges families a fortune to do it. Oh no, they're not making as much money as the other two company. Oh, oh my God, they're the underdogs. And the end in itself, as as well, which kind of sort of kind of, kind of summed up my feelings as as I came away from this film, is that this um, the big awe-inspiring conclusion was it that um, Michael Jordan's deal paved the way for top athletes to gain a cut from the sales of their products. Now, that's great. Don't get me wrong. I think that if a, you know, if a corporation is making a massive amount of money off someone's name, they're entitled to um, a, a cut of that. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm not going to cheer that 
these guys who are already millionaires just based on the money that they're getting from sort of you know playing um, uh, basketball already and that they've got more you know am i supposed to be sort of like really happy for them that they've now got even more money that they can blow on on cocaine and cars and <laughs> lawyers to bail them out when they uh when we get into trouble allegedly you know, <laughs> yeah well yeah you know um i'm sorry but you always need more cocaine <laughs> no you, you, you do and a little bit more money never hurt anybody i know that but it just <laughs> this was just a film at its heart, it was a film about rich people getting even richer, and it was getting even richer by basically marketing shoes. It was this wasn't a film about sort of you know what was going on. This wasn't a film about how they were changing the game by making a show that was revolutionising the game, that was making them play better. We found out that Michael Jordan didn't even like Nike shoes. It was just a case of make more money. I understand what you're saying. There's a scene in this film where Justin Bateman, uh, who I think gives the performance of his career, to be honest, I think he's absolutely superb in this film, but he talks about, I only see my child once every couple of weeks and I'm now giving up so we can, you know, we can make this shoe and, and make that money. How did you feel about that scene then, given all that you said? Do you think then, you know, he, he was making a huge mistake because he could have spent that time with his family, or in the terms of the film, he was making the right decision because it made them all more successful. That was the one. I mean, I mean, I was, I was just about to say that the, the thing about this film is it didn't have the sort of the, the critiquing value systems in the same way that films like The Social Network or The Founder did. Um, that scene was like the one scene in the film that I think had any actual sort of insight into that because it, it, it and it always crammed into that one scene because apart from that what you're talking about where he's sort of talking about his um, you know if he doesn't spend more time with his uh, with his daughter that was also a scene where he acknowledged that these um, trainers were made in sweatshops overseas. And to mm. me, that entire scene felt like that was the little disclaimer. That's like, mm. okay, we're addressing that mo, you know, in this scene, and then we never heard from it again. And it was sort of, I, I, I get that, you know, because he's talking about how he was going to buy those trainers for his kids, and he wasn't going to, in his mind, he thought he was wrong for making them overseas, but he wasn't going to stop. Even if he wasn't working for Nike, he'd still buy them because of a court of connection with his daughter. And I thought that scene was really good, but it was just like one scene. It was like, we need to have one scene in this film that addresses all of that thing. Let's all put it into this one bit. Let's Jason um, uh, Bateman have this little scene. And then that, and that's and that's all we ever heard from again. Mm. You yeah. know, so I thought that was a really good scene. But like I said, that seemed to be the sort of like the, okay. the disclaimer almost in there. But, and, and the one thing that had any sort of like actual humanity uh, about him, about the whole film, to be honest. Uh, so, 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 yeah. I, I, again, it, this film, it wasn't the underdog feel-good story of a film like that Cheetos film that's just been released lately. Or oh, it didn't have the the oddball genius of of say like Moneyball or Ford versus Ferrari or someone who was actually bucking the system. And it didn't make you feel angry like a film like The Big Short did. It didn't critique, you know, what you know what the effect of a corporation like Nike and all the trainers type, you know, this clothing thing, what that effect is on 
on society and also the actual the sport itself. You know, there was no critique on whether, you know, that deal actually sort of helped sport or anything like that. It it was called, a, um, I mean, I saw this film being called A Cinderella Story and not. It's just a, a story about a wealthy company throwing tons of money at a wealthy, already spoiled guy to wear their trainers that he doesn't even like that much. And it's a very wow. entertaining, well-made film. I absolutely enjoyed it and everything, but I couldn't buy the heart of it, the sort of the feel-good moment, as were. At the end of the day, it was about sort of marketing. And I have to say, just on the last thing, is um, I bought some new trainers recently. Um, I got them from Mark Suspensers. <laughs> they were about a quarter of what a Nike pair of shoes would, would have cost. And they are absolutely very comfortable, thank you. So I will not be joining the little um, sportswear. Michael Jordan, you are not. <laughs> yes. Still, still made in a sweatshop, but at least it's a yes, Marks and Spencer sweatshop. So much this, is, this is why I love the show in these chats, because I took something completely different out of this film. To me, it was all a film about teamwork and the fact that every member of the team had something to give and they were encouraged and they fed off one another. So I didn't see it as, yeah, it made all the money, but I didn't see it in that way. I saw it in a, I watched it in a completely different way to Darren. And I would add, and I will hand it out now, is uh, it's my film of the year so far. So, um, Dick. I agree with you, Jeff, really. I didn't see any of that. When I was reading Darren's review, I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't, he's right, but I didn't see it. I was just in, swept along, I suppose, on the, Enjoying the film, swept along, loving the music, which he's already mentioned, you know, very nostalgic from my youth. I thought it was an underdog story. And yeah, I know now you're highlighting that, yeah, of course they were. But I didn't, in the film, I just thought, oh no, they're doing really badly. And Matt Damon's throwing a gamble of the dice and going against, you know, all the rest of the people in the room and saying, this is our last chance. And if we don't do this, the whole department and team are all going to be out of work. And I, I did see it as an underdog story. And I was punching the air with joy and I was like yeah they've done it and and I didn't I don't know I was just maybe I was just lost in the moment I saw it in a cinema and just almost forgot it was Nike and just went along with it went with it and and I thought yeah there was some really funny moments in it and there was some, some obviously a little bit of tension in there yeah it made a mockery of marketing really in a lot of places as well because you know they, they make these stupid films that <laughs> didn't didn't work at all but um I mean if Michael Jordan had failed as a player then that cut he got of the shoes wouldn't have meant anything because he wouldn't have sold any because he would have been a failure. And after a year of sales, no one would have remembered his name. But of course, he went on to become a genius and uh, stuff like that. So it, it led to him being very wealthy, um, but justly deserved. I mean, if you watch The Last Dance, he, he's a phenomenal player, but I don't really watch basketball. But uh, sounds like he's he is one of the greats and um, therefore probably deserved all his rewards for all the hard work he put in. But um, yeah, no, I was swept away with it and thoroughly enjoyed this film. Yeah, Darren? Can I just add something as well? This is something I just completely thought of. That big speech that he that Matt Damon does in the boardroom, and it was a really well done speech, this great, this great speech that he which is his pitch, and, and, and it's supposed to be the one that gives you something to think about. That's supposed to be the, the you know the, the sort of like you know the triumphant scene. But what actually happens next? Um, they phone him and say, "Oh, we you know we've decided to go with you." 
providing we get a cut of all the trainers. So in reality, that speech that he did doesn't actually win them. It's not that Michael Jordan afterwards thought, wow, this is this is really something. This is a really sort of great sort of company for worker. All, it, all, all that he comes back with is, um, I'll come to you if you give me the best cut of the, you know, if you give me the most money. So that speech, which is all inspiring, doesn't really make a great difference to the actual, uh, you know, the conclusion to the film. It's the deal that they cut after that's the main thing. Yeah, look, you did this last time when we had that review of, um, uh, what was it, a Tar, wasn't it? And that made me go and rewatch the thing again. So you're doing it again now. Neil. Yeah, I, I I watched it and I, and you did tell me that it was your film of the year, Jeff. So um, so you were bound to hate bound it. Bound to hate it. No, I I I did enjoy it, but as as, as I then read Taryn's review, and I and I had to have a think back. Damn it. Um, yeah, it, I'm going to have to watch it again now. I, I the the comment also that Nike were on, were doing badly. They were only doing badly in basketball. They were the number one running shoe, and everybody ran in in the eighties. Jogging was everywhere in the eighties. Um, but then basketball was failing miserably. They needed the soup. They needed Michael Jordan more than Michael Jordan needed them, which I think is mentioned in the film. Um, basketball was failing. This was a, a minor sport in America, and no, well, look what it is now. It's massive, and uh, Nike were key to that as well, um, to to getting um, Michael Jordan onto the uh, face of the uh, TVs, really, because. At one point, they said that the final series or whatever they call it in the NBA was on timed release. I think they called it, so you could only you couldn't watch it live. So there were only sort of highlights. So it is a huge moment in in uh, American sporting history. Um, basketball, obviously, in particular, but main, but across the whole of their sports, this changed everything. But. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch it again. Damn it, Darren, why'd you do that to me? I'm going to have to watch a film twice. Okay. <laughs> are you comfortable with it, Phil, or are you going to watch it again? No, I'm, I'm completely comfortable with it because I'm going to be controversial and say that Darren can be right and we are all allowed to still enjoy the mm. film and think it's really yeah. good. Mm. Um, that's my opinion. No, no, um, it's, yeah, so, it's just looking at it from a different point of view, which I find yeah, fascinating. Yeah, so... I actually, my focus on the film was different to everything that everyone said so far. So for me, what the film does best is it articulates the passion and love that sports inspire in people, mm. right? So for me, the film was all about you know, these group of people working together because they were passionate about the sport. They loved the sport and they were doing something that for them was bringing the sport to more people and making it bigger and making it wider spread. Um, everything Darren said is completely accurate, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, for me, everything there was around, you know, the inter interactions and relationships between that group that you said, you know, and you're right again, Jeff, the group that all added to it, all were part of the, the process, all did the thing that they were good at to achieve the goal that they were looking at because of their inspiration of doing you know, what they thought you know, was the right thing from a basketball perspective. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And a lot of you have mentioned Moneyball. I think that what this does really well is it's, it's deceptively brilliant sports movie that's not about sports at all. Anyone can watch Moneyball and, and uh, this air 
and not know anything about basketball or baseball and love it and enjoy it. Um, and if you do know lots about the sports, then you get a little extra layer sort of underneath there as well. So, yeah, I thought it was really good. Phil, I agree. Um, the one thing about this film, if you do class as a sports film, is that my wife loved it and she never, she hates sport. So I think, you know, it's it's an enjoyable film on its own level, even though, even if you don't like anything to do with sport, I think it's it's not really about the sport. It's about the people and the, the, the stress and the emotions and things they go through trying to succeed. And Matt Damon was brilliant. Yeah, yeah I think, he was. He's the new yeah. Jimmy Stewart, isn't he? For me, uh, <laughs> I did, I said Matt Damon was brilliant, but for me, if we're going to talk about actors, uh, uh, is it, the lawyer uh, played by somebody, oh. Messina, I can't remember his, yeah. his no. Christian name. Uh, where is it? Yeah. I, I, but Chris, I think, yeah, Chris I think. Messina, he was amazing. I think we've undersold the humour yes, in this oh, film. It is yeah. extremely It is very funny. laugh out loud as well, isn't it? I mean, it's not, it's yes, not just it is, the yeah. gentle humour. Yeah. The way Sonny manages um, the CEO is, is just hilarious. I wish I could have done yeah. that. And, and the, the Matt Damon's discussion with the lawyer, when the lawyer's telling him how he's going to <laughs> cut him up into little pieces, <laughs> is just hilarious. And yeah. it, it is a proper multifaceted film. You can watch it as Darren did from the sort of the the uh, sweatshops and, the, and the, the extreme capitalism that's in it, or you can watch it from the humour level. I watched it from... Pretty much, you know, how can you? Matt Damon says it in in the in the film itself. How can you have a bunch of people who sell um, shoes to large, out, uh, you know, outfitters that aren't passionate about the sport they're trying to push? You know, he's the only one who's absolutely yeah, obsessed I found that. with the sport. The rest of them and could I have been anywhere was, in marketing, couldn't they? Yeah, they could be selling anything, but he really wanted us to. He was really interested in sports. He was interested. But in he basketball. had no life, though, did he? He, had he no didn't have none of them had any life, and, really, did they? And I and I love the comments about Adidas. Oh yes, <laughs> I did know. I did know the yeah. story because there were two brothers, um, and they had a shoe company um, in Germany, and uh, they fell out because um, one of them wanted to make more than shoes. Um, Addy. Adolf, Adolf, Addy decided to create his own uh, company called Addy Dassler, Adidas, um, and the other one went off to create Puma. Yeah, I bet that was a fun Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's just fascinating that you know we've all got different views on this, and I think that's what makes it a great film. One last thing was that I just loved the scene where he told. Um, Michael Jordan's mother how all the other companies yes. would react yeah. and they did exactly. exactly so knowing your competition and is you can really see her reaction as she realizes yeah, yeah yes. brilliant it's all happening yeah 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 okay moving on is this an early contender for an Atlaflix film of the year it certainly impressed the team and if you want to check it out air is free to view if you have an Amazon Prime subscription coming later in the show a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 the Swimmers, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Before that, we turn to the summer blockbusters with Fast X, the latest in that all-action series that frequently defies the laws of physics. Let's start back at the beginning, shall we? Los Angeles, 2001. Humble roots, local kids, street racers who became hijackers. 
graduated to high-speed smuggling. Mobile jailbreaks. Train robbers. If it could be done in a car, they did it. If it violates the laws of God and gravity, they did it twice. But the days where one man behind the wheel of a car can make a difference are over. It's time to prepare for what's coming. You might want to buckle up. Remember the heart-pounding, non-stop excitement of Fast and of Furious 5? Nope. That's the bank robbery episode set in South America. No, then it may be worth revisiting before watching the latest in this epic series. The main villain in 5 was Crime Lord Reyes, and while that story had a very exciting and satisfying ending, there appears to have been a loose end. Reyes' psychotic son Dante, played by Jason Momoa, survived the carnage in Rio and now wants revenge. It has taken him years to plan how to bring down Dom, once again played by Vin Diesel, and his extended family. The best-served cold game begins with an amazing action set-piece which almost destroys most of Rome, and from there the stakes and carnage just get higher. This is the first part of the endgame. There's two of them. This is the first part of the endgame for the Fast and Furious franchise. Say that quickly. Jeff, is it the start of a worthy send-off? Well, the short answer to that, Neil, is yes, and well read, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) It ticks all the boxes of expectation for this series. Plenty of action, breathtaking bending of the rules of physics, (laughs) edge-of-the-seat moments, and, of course, family. Lots about family. Jeff, can I interrupt you? That's funny. (laughs) Because uh, you summed it up exactly, because I have never watched a fast film, and I had to, because I knew I was doing this review show, so I had to give away my hard-earned money and pay for a ticket to sit and watch Fast X. And 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 to warm me up, I watched a a YouTube thing about uh, quickly summing up the last nine films, and all it went on about was family, barbecues, bottles of Corona, uh, bending the laws of physics, lots and lots of fast cars. And I'm so I literally turned up for the movie and I thought, oh, it's exactly what I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, it's like a checklist going, yep, that, yep, that, yep, that, yep, that. And I was like laughing all the way through it. So yeah, it was very entertaining, but carry on. But you, you found it entertaining? I found it very entertaining and probably almost more funny because I hadn't seen anything else. So to me, it was all new. <laughs> so um, yeah, I don't know how you sit through 10 of those, but one of them, it was, it was entertaining. I mean, there's 11 if you count Hobson Shaw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Hobson Shaw. Thank you for that, Deck. That's quite important for where I'm going to go with this, because I think the Fast and Furious films have now reached the stage where they defy criticism. So while I have my thoughts on how number 10 compares to the others, I want to focus on the franchise first and how we ended up with a cricket-defying se- cricket, cricket series. series. Well cricket done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to take it through Lords to get beaten later. Um, so, so how did a relatively small budget 2001 summer movie become a mega franchise? It's something film historians will be talking about and studying for generations. To be, I, I think they will. I, I agree. I'm endlessly fascinated by the evolution of the franchise. <laughs> yeah. I am. It's amazing. Yeah. I saw that first film when it came out that summer. 
Yeah, it was okay. It was a little crime drama with plenty of fast cars, but nothing more. And I've lost my place Good. now. Good. <laughs> so we end there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thank you. Moving on. There's nothing. I mean, and and that goes to the 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 other th- the next three in the series. You know, there's nothing really more than fast cars merchandising for teenage boys. It doesn't make the series stand out. They're all based around essentially illegal streetcar races that made the first film such a hit. And when they got to number four, it looked like they pushed that initial idea to its limit and there was no more road left for it to drive down. Indeed, two of the stars, Vin Diesel and Paul Walker, had dropped out of the series and come back into it. I mean, it's just crazy how this thing had even got to four. But then two factors over the next couple of films came into play. Firstly, an unused script for a sequel to the Italian Job remake, and I'm not making that up. It be- this became the heist movie that is Fast and the Furious 5, and in a sense, the prequel to this film, and the one, or possibly two, yet to come. It changed the tone of the series and introduced such over-the-top characters as Hobbs, as played by Dwayne Johnson. Then there was the tragic road accident death of one of its main stars, Paul Walker which created a must-see experience for Fast 7, which he was making at the time of the tragedy, and it pushed the success of that film to over a billion. Now, those two factors have launched this film series into the stratosphere, where global box office of a billion dollars is expected for each film. So just what have these films become from that streetcar racing? Well, if you can imagine this, right? A Roger Moore, James Bond film, Combined with the Waltons. <laughs> that is what you've got with the fun of this combo. You can't take it seriously, and that's why it's critic proof. Can I just jump in and say, technically, Jeff, you're telling us that you like a superhero movie because that's what they basically are at this point. Yeah, in this yeah no, I do. I, I do. I mean, <laughs> if we want to go there, I will, I will confess here all the first run of Marvel films, up to and including the first Avengers, I loved them all. I thought they were great. So, yeah, and, and and that's the same year. Essentially, you're right. It is a superhero movie, and it's got the absurdity of a superhero movie. You know, let's forget the physics. <laughs> Which they do, generally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, let's take the character of Deckard Shaw, as played by Jason Statham. He was a villain who killed off one of the core team. Since then, he's redeemed himself and is now a hero in his own spin-off series. Oh. And that death, it doesn't really matter because they brought that character hand back from the dead by showing how his demise was faked. So well, all rec- of this... Oh, so retcons, retcons are as important as corona and family and <laughs> physics Because yeah, yeah. like, there are so many retcons in the series now. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's the ultimate summer movie. It rattles along like an express train, makes little sense. And being honest and right up to date with this film... I love this latest instalment pretty much from beginning to end. Now, there's been a slight deviation uh, from what we've come to expect from a fast movie. And, Deck, you've studied this hard, so you would know this. You know it always ends with a big family barbecue where they pay tribute to each other and, of course, God, as the person who's most redeemed throughout the course of that film has to say grace. Now, this is why Graham loves him. Um, This film... (laughs) breaks that sequence because it starts with the barbecue and then builds to, well, it doesn't have an ending. It's a cliffhanger ending. But along the way, after that action-free start, which is the bit, I find a bit boring, 
there are some very exciting action set pieces. I mean, I've always wanted to see Rome destroyed. This was near enough a dream <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh, God, the bomb. <laughs> they missed the Vatican. They didn't get the Vatican. <laughs> that's, a, that's a disappointing that's... bit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, now, you notice I haven't actually mentioned anything about how good the acting is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, you called it acting. That was hysterical. But there is one performance of note here, and I think full credit to Jason Momoa, who plays his character Dante like the Joker from The Dark Knight. He's clearly watched his ledger. Was that? Do you think that was a lot of that was ad libbed, or do you think it was written that way? Because I thought that he was the highlight in terms of the way he portrayed that character as a villain who doesn't care what he wears or what he looks like and comes out with ridiculous statements. I thought he was a brilliant pantomime villain and yeah. I thought he was fantastic. I, and do you reckon he did a lot of that himself or do you reckon it was written like that? I, I reckon he read the lines as he said them were written, but the way that he delivered it and the fact that he was super camp, I, that has to be all him. I, I reckon that if you went and had a shot with Vin Diesel, he'd be like, can't believe Momoa was saying the lines like that. He needed to be far more villainous. <laughs> <laughs> and those outfits as well. Something's got to, those outfits were amazing. They were just brilliant. And that scene when he's talking to the two dead guys is just brilliant. Oh yes, yeah. And for a for a twelve A, I thought the scene where he was talking to the two dead guys was pushing it slightly. <laughs> when I went to see it, there was quite a few kids who were about eight watching it, and then he started talking to the dead guys who've got like sellotape over their face or something. <laughs> and I was just like, I actually started looking around, like I wonder if these parents are thinking, "What have I done?" <laughs> <laughs> They should have been thinking that I, anyway, going to take them to see Fast X. <laughs> I, I personally, I agree. I think Momoa might have been coming up with this stuff himself. And I say this yeah. because I have never seen a character in any of the Fast and Furious movies that charismatic and that funny in the writing. Yeah, no, that's, a, again, yes, yeah, it's a, a good argument. I mean, I guess... <sighs> where I just want to finish this is where does it go from here? You know, this film, it costs close on 300 million, which seems to be about the ballpark figure for every film this summer. It hasn't made, it's certainly not going to hit a billion. So I think this thing of Vin Diesel saying there's going to be two, this, I think there'll be one. I pretty much know where it's going to go, but you know, I don't want to spoil any plot twists for anybody out there. Um, and I think the only thing they can do to, to really put it back for the end one, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did, is somehow reanimate Paul Walker. Don't <laughs> <laughs> okay, go But do you doubt that that's going to happen? Can you... Please, you know, please let you... that be true. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'll... I'll be there, and I'll be I'll be entertained again. And it's, you know, it's proper Bond movies, not this dour... Daniel Craig nonsense. <laughs> Proper movies like Roger used to make. <laughs> That's what people want to be entertained with. I think that but you've said how will it how will this go on? I think there will be a finale ending movie. And there'll have to be because in all these movies, Jason Momoa has to join the team. Because all the mm. all the hood villains in all the films before <laughs> this, yeah. in the next film, no matter how despicable they are, all the bad things they do, they then join the team. So Jason Momoa will have to do it for this super, super baddie. And there's going to be a final scene. It's going to be like Avengers Endgame 
where a load of cars roll up. Toretto's going to be on his own in the desert somewhere and he's face off with his bad guys. And when a load of cars come over for the horizon and every single character, no matter how minor, from all the Fast and Furious movies, all appear in a car reach for a big final climactic um, car battle. And it's just going to, you know, everybody, you know, the, the two... Um, uh, the two guys who disappear, the ones who were sort of like you know the comedy duo, you know, all of them will all, will all appear in this final uh, standoff. They'll drive off into the sunset. And, and Charlie's Tehran didn't actually kill that woman. That was all fake. So that's okay. Yeah, I think Jeff. The only thing, the only thing that disappointed about this film, and this is going to be a feature of this review show actually, because it comes up again, is I am getting a bit annoyed that films end knowing that there's going to be another film. That, yeah, I agree that with that. I yeah. don't think they should do that. I just think they should make the film and they should finish the film. And if they want to make another film, yeah, you can link it at the start of that film, but don't just leave it. I, I just think that's wrong and it's annoying me now because more and more films are doing it. Uh, I mean, Endgame did it and it was the first time and it was like, oh yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, but then now everyone seems to be doing it, and I don't know. It's well, they did it with Back to the Future Part Two. It's not a new thing. And Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, but I don't think they did with. I don't think they actually left it knowing that they were making another one. That was half. You know, it was practically made already. They 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 left it with that option, but it wasn't. No, two, like, it did Back actually to the Future Two and Three was made at the same time, and yeah, because we actually had a trailer for Back to the Future Two yes, at the end. Did, yeah. uh, Back to the Future Three, right at the end of Back to the Future Two, so they'd already made it. <laughs> And I Empire think, Strikes I Back. Think the, yeah, yeah, I think Empire Strikes Back is the interesting one because they made it, and then you had three years to wait to the next instalment. That that was a hell of a risk at that time, even though it was Star Wars. We weren't as entitled back then, though, were we? We were sort of like you know we do, you know. I, I remember when Walking Dead had a cliffhanger where Negan killed somebody, and people were complaining because we we're going to have to wait about three months to find out who he killed, and we were all sort of yeah. oh you've betrayed me we had to wait three years with han solo in carbonite and we just accepted mm. you know i i have a weird relationship with the fast and furious franchise because i really am not i hate i hate cars from a like you know fast cars point of view i really couldn't care less it's like the least interesting thing for me and i thought the first four films were, were absolute dross and then the fifth film came out which is exactly what you just described and, I, and it just changed. The entire franchise changed. It turned into this absurd action movie team, like Bond team sort of travelling around the globe sort of thing. And I honestly, I do think that it, it changed everything. Like it became interesting and fun. So yeah, it wasn't just this um, sort of single-minded, narrow sort of uh, car racing with like women wearing very little clothes although they do always have to get at least one scene every film with that don't they because that was also one of their trademarks but um i actually think and this is the bit that i i'm insistent is definitely true i think it's true is that they are now self-aware of the ridiculousness of the films the new Jack Reacher, Alan Richson, he's a newcomer for the film and he gets an amazing speech where he talks about, he kind of sums up the whole franchise and the craziness of the things that have happened um, in his little summary of like the, them as the, t the number one team they have to take down and stuff. And I just thought it was genius. It was like pure, like self-aware, 
like we are absolute lunatics and they did it in the film before where the 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 guys who always argue and bicker had a kind of similar moment conversation and i just think that that self-awareness plays brilliantly to vin diesel who is either the greatest actor that we are all unaware (laughs) of right and is the best straight man in the history of straight man like men in like films or He's so up his own ass about what this franchise is in his own head that he plays the perfect straight man because he is, he's <laughs> <laughs> because like he's like he does this. He's so crazy with the the earnestness which which he delivers yeah. the whole family and all the rest of it. Yeah, it just becomes comical to me and like funny, but. I imagine there are people out there who find it like all, all like really serious. <laughs> I um, do. I, I bow my head to say grace whenever they do. Um, but the so what I will leave you. So I didn't. So this won't make my top top three Fast and Furious films. I thought that the action wasn't quite as on a level. That the Rome opening sequence was never bettered in the rest of the film. I didn't think. That's and, fair. That's and, I, fair. and I and I don't think that like it was a great to have an opening sort of action sequence like that. But when it's never sort of topped for the next, I don't know, two hours because it's quite long. Um, That's a bit frustrating. But I will leave you with this story. I don't know if I've told you this before. I was working at the cinema when Too Fast, Too Furious came out and one of my friends went to see it and he went to see it with one of his friends who I didn't know. And I was ushering. And when the film came out and I hadn't seen it at this point, I they came out and I said, oh, how was it? And this friend of a friend who I didn't know, he described it as, fat and I and that was with a ph by the way and I at the time just went okay <laughs> I, had no idea. I had no idea what that meant I thought he meant fat with an f and just didn't want to comment on it but that was that's my almost that's that's the most enjoyment I got out of the first four Fast and Furious films was that moment of going what is this guy on about I don't want to offend anyone let's not say anything Brilliant. And and Dick, we appreciate the sacrifice you made by actually going to watch this film. <laughs> Thank you. And I still can't believe Vin, Vin Diesel delivered some of those lines with a straight face. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. And his gravelly voice. What are you talking about, family? I don't know how he does it. That's what I'm saying. He's either brilliant or he's just completely in his own little yeah. world. I know where I think, I think he is. He was good in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Neil, over to you. If our review has encouraged you to watch Fast X, I can't believe that actually saying that, you can now check it out on Video On Demand. As the Fast and the Furious franchise draws to a close, you have to wonder how will they ever replace this highlight of the summer season. And talking of film series coming to an end, let's link almost seamlessly to our next movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Hold on there, Neil. We are taking a short commercial break. Come back tomorrow for part two of the show, which will include the reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, and The Swimmers. <laughs> <laughs>